So we are continuing our series called The First 39. Um, Lene from Sedona Hill Church, uh, Sedona Hill is one of our supporting churches. She was kind enough to, to come here and preach while I was on vacation. Um, I went to Nashville last week uh, with three kids in a Kia Sorento. And in case you don't know what a Kia Sorento looks like, it does not have a back row. So it's five seats and I have three kids, five and under. And so when we got home, my wife and I were like, yeah, we got to buy a minivan. It's time. We've, I've, I've, I've took my cool factor as far as I can. It's minivan time. So Tuesday we go and we find a minivan. It's, a, it's out there, Honda Odyssey. Um, 2015 Honda Odyssey had like 22,000 miles on it. It all seemed like a good deal. We drove it home. It drove home nicely. And then um, the next morning, my wife was getting the car ready, was cleaning some stuff up and just um, getting the car seats in. And so she turned the car on and the kids were hanging out in our brand new minivan. They kind of liked it. So for about a half hour to 45 minutes, my kids are hanging out in this minivan. And about 45 minutes in, the, the van starts shaking a little bit. Erica's like, what's that? So she just stops it and it's like, oh, it stopped. So well, I guess it's fine. And then a couple hours later, my wife gets all the kids in the car, is about to go run an errand. Goes to start it. It's a push start. It's fancy. Goes to push start it, and it just doesn't start. Pushes again, doesn't start. So I come out, and I'm like, I'm not a car guy. So I, I've, if I opened the hood and the engine one there, I'd be like, it looks fine to me. I'd have no clue how anything works. So I was trying to start it, and it wasn't starting. And I just got in the car, remember, a day before. Not even 24 hours, I got this new minivan. So I, I call the, the dealer. Uh, who sold it to me. He was a really nice guy. Um, car salesmen seem to be really nice when you're about to buy a car from them. So um, it was really nice. And I called him and was like, hey, it's not starting. I don't know what's happening. He's like, well, is the bat- maybe the battery died. Maybe you guys accidentally left a light on or something, blaming me. And I was like, we didn't leave a light on, buddy, okay? But all right, I'll try to jump it. So I go to jump it. Doesn't work. Call him back. Do you know how to jump a car? I was like, yes, I know how to jump a car, dude. I've done it many times. What do you mean, do I know how to jump a car? Okay, I mean, you're, are you sure you push your brake when you, like, and I'm like, yes, I know. It's like, and he's just basically saying, it's got to be the battery. There's no other option. It's got to be the battery. I said, okay, fine. I'll call my mechanic friend. So Pat, who plays guitar up here, he's somewhere. Um, he came over. Um, whenever I call him, he goes, what? Because he knows it's a car question. And like uh, the, battery, the car's not starting. He came over. He, he had a, one of those things that checked the battery. And he said, the battery's fine. There's no issue with the battery. So then I call this guy back. I'm like, listen, man, it's not the battery. He said, well, I don't know. It's, it started when I was here. I was like, I don't know what it is either. All I know is I bought a brand new minivan yesterday. I drove it home. It's not starting today. You need to come over here and fix this, or you need to tow it back to your shop because you sold me a minivan that's broken. I was a jerk about it, okay? I understand I'm, I'm a pastor. I was not a very pleasant man that day. I needed to set my tone. I needed to put my foot down because this guy, I think, is trying to get one over on me. So he goes, all right, listen, listen. I'll close the shop early. I'll come over and I'll see what's wrong and I'll, we'll try to figure it out. I said, okay, it's fine. You can come over. Um, I happen to have plans that night. So I called my dad. I said, dad, can you come over when this guy comes? I don't want him to come. And it's just him and Erica. So my dad comes over and the guy comes and he's checking the batteries and all that stuff. And then he, he asked my dad a question. He goes, is, is there gas in this car? He's like, I don't know. And we come to find out that this car that wasn't starting just ran out of gas. And I'm telling you, I called him and was like, I don't care, you're gonna have to tow this car back, and it ran out of gas. First off, he should have filled it up for me. So I'm, I'm only taking so much blame for this. 
okay? It should have been filled up before I got it. Um, I was also so happy I was not there. <laughs> I didn't have to look at him in the face. My dad called me and was like, I just answered, he goes, you're an idiot. Here's that a gas. <laughs> that, so that happened literally Wednesday. Um, sometimes we have these big problems and we try every solution. I'm thinking it's the fuse. I'm thinking that there's no fuel getting to this. We're, Pat and I are thinking all these possible things it can be. And the answer was so simple. It, it just needed gas. It really can't start without it. He ran out of gas, and that's what happened. And sometimes when we read the Bible and we read certain stories, especially in the Old Testament, we will have these times, for me at least, when I will read a passage and I'm like, what does this mean? I'm so confused about what this means. I don't know what God's trying to tell me. But really the message can be pretty simple. So throughout this series, what we're going to be doing in the first 39, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at passages that sometimes can confuse us, passages that um, we're always, not always sure about. Passage, we look at and we read and we go, that God doesn't seem like the same God in the New Testament. This doesn't seem to make any sense to me. So we're looking at some of those passages. And today, the story we're talking about is the story of Judah and Tamar. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Genesis chapter 38 or your Bible apps. And I highly recommend you pull it up today because there's going to be some verses I'm not reading today because this is one of the craziest stories I have ever read in the Bible. If you don't know this story, you've probably never heard someone preach about this story because it's, it's such a crazy story. This story of Judah and Tamar is full of deception. It's full of death. It's full of adultery. It has prostitution. There's lying. There's blackmailing. And there's a verse in this passage that I will not read to you because I am way too uncomfortable to read it. But it's in your Bible, okay? So you guys, you guys should really read it sometimes because there's some crazy things in this. Genesis chapter 38. We're going to start in verse 1 if you have your Bibles. Genesis chapter 38. It'll also be up on the screen as well. Starting in verse 1. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man named uh, Adalam, named Hira. Stay with a man of Adalam named Hira. So Judah, we are introduced to our first character. His, his name is Judah. Judah, his great-grandfather is pretty famous. You probably know his great-grandfather. It's a guy by the name of Abraham. You might know Abraham, right? Um, Abraham was blessed, was uh, told that he was going to have children of many nations, that he was going to, God was going to bless the entire world through this one man named Abraham. Abraham eventually has a son named Isaac, and we're going to talk about Abraham and Isaac next week, so you don't want to miss that. Um, Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob has many sons, one of them being Judah. Judah. So here's Judah, um, and he says he left his brothers and went down to stay with a man. Here's something that we don't always know if you know the story. Ju Judah has a pretty famous brother that you may have heard of. His name is Joseph. Um, and I'm talking about the Technicolor Dreamcoat Joseph, not uh, Jesus' stepdad Joseph. So the Joseph in the Old Testament. So right before this in Genesis 38, Judah is part of a plan to hurt his brother. See, Joseph had these dreams that he was going to do amazing things and that um, all these people were going to bow to him. He was going to be a ruler. And all of his older brothers didn't like that. So they all decided to make a plan to murder Joseph. So Joseph comes and with hard hearts, they get ready to murder him. And then one of the brothers has a plan. He says, you know what? If we murder him, like we get nothing out of that. Why don't we sell him to the Egyptians and make him a slave? And then we'll just tell our dad that he died. That brother is Judah. That's who we're talking about today. He had that plan. He eventually sold Joseph into slavery. That's the guy we're talking about in Genesis 38. Continue on in verse 2. 
There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and lay with her. So we kind of skipped by this verse, but this is actually a pretty important verse. Because here's why. Judah chose his wife. His wife was a Canaanite woman. Back then, if you were an Israelite, you tried to marry other Israelites. Especially if you're the great-grandson of Abraham, who is going to bless the nations and who the, 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 the Savior is going to come out of that lineage. Especially if you're him. Abraham made sure that Isaac married a, another Israelite. Isaac made sure Jacob married another Israelite. Judah broke the trend and sinned by marrying an unbeliever here. That's what Judah's doing. God had this promise to Abraham, but Judah doesn't care about that promise. He doesn't, he doesn't share the same concerns as his ancestors. Judah, when it came to the promise that God made to Abraham, Judah did everything he could to fail that promise. He did whatever he could to fail it. Verse 2. So can anyone in verse 6, we're going to skip down a little bit. Judah got a wife for Ur. Ur is Judah's firstborn. And her name was Tamar. That's our next key person, Tamar. Tamar. So we have Judah and we have Tamar. Tamar here is most likely a teenager, just so you know. She's a teenager. She was chosen for Ur. That means she didn't get a choice. Um, remember, this is a day and age where women were treated like cattle. This is a day and age where women were treated terribly. So they, Judah decided, Tamar, you are going to marry Ur. You have no say in the manner. She's most likely a teenager. So Tamar, a teenage wife, has no rights and no value. She's married to Ur. Let's see what happens in verse 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Now we read that and we go, that seems pretty harsh. But here's what we need to know. There is no other, this is the very first example of God putting one person to death. We have example of Noah and the flood. We have that example of a whole group of people uh, that he punished. We have Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a whole group of people. This is the first example in our Bibles of God putting one person to death. What that means is whatever Ur did, which we don't know, was most likely so terrible that that was the only punishment that suited it. So Ur does something so wrong and eventually he is put to death. Continue on in verse 8. Then Judah said to Onan, that's his second son, Lie with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to produce offspring for your brother. So we're getting a little dicey now, huh? We're not even, we're just barely tipping our toes in the water in this story, trust me. So here's what is happening here. Back then they had this thing that was called a leveret marriage. This is something that, that they did, and this was actually for the women's sake. Doesn't seem like it, but back then they did it for their sake, and here's why. If you are a, a female in that time period, you're only good for giving birth to boys especially. That's your only purpose. If you marry someone and that person dies and you don't have a child before they die, you're now a widow. That means your value, even though it's really low, is even lower. So they had this lever in marriage where they would say, okay, if the brother dies, then the wife of that brother, if they didn't have a kid, now goes to the second brother. And now they have to fulfill the duty of making sure a son is born into this world. That'd be like if I died, my brother had to marry Erica. Poor Erica, right? That's what it would be. Okay? So, tells them that. And then verse 9. Um, verse 9 is the verse I'm not going to read to you. If you want to read it, go ahead. I'll give you a gist of what happens in verse 9. Onan does something bad too. See, Onan did not want, Onan did not want that to get Tamar pregnant. 
Because if, she got, if he got Tamar pregnant and she had a baby, that baby would be named Ur. It would not be his, it would be, her older, it would be his older brother's. He didn't want that, so he decided, you know what, I'm going to make sure that does not happen. You can read how, the Bible's descriptive on how, but he made sure it didn't happen. So that was another big no-no, you do not do that. So let's skip to verse 10. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so, he, so the Lord put him to death also. Hide your kids, hide your wife, God's putting everybody to death in here, okay? So, so first Ur, then Onan. They both do something so bad that they eventually are put to death. So Tamar, let me remind you about Tamar, a teenage female in a day and age where you do not want to be a female, the day and age that, that you were treated down low is now twice widowed, twice. No child, no son. She is twice widowed. So her, the next brother is a guy named Shua. So the way it works is Shua would then marry um, and be with Tamar. That's how it's supposed to work. But here's the thing. Judah is looking at this whole story and looking at first Tamar marries Ur, and then he dies. And then Tamar marries Onan, and he dies. I have Shua left. I'm not letting Tamar marry Shua because it's got to be Tamar's fault. It can't be the, whatever wicked thing Ur did and whatever wicked thing Onan did. It's got to be Tamar's fault. Any of you in the room are, are teachers? you have any teachers in the room? My wife is. A couple people, okay. So some of you teachers, you know how this is. Because um, back in the day, um, with my parents' age, things like that, um, this didn't seem to happen as much from what I hear. But now what I find out when it comes to my wife and a teacher, um, whenever the kid does something wrong, most of the time it is not the kid's fault. It's my wife's fault or it's somebody else's fault. Maybe you just didn't do it right. Well, why aren't they learning this? Well, are you teaching them that right? Are you doing this right? I mean, they're my, my precious Billy would never do this in, in any other scenario. So my wife, the hardest part about her job is the parents, easily. That's the hardest part of her job because she has to deal with parents that always blame her. That's what Judah's doing right now. The real people that should have been blamed are his two sons, but no, 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 we're not gonna blame my sons. We're gonna blame Tamar. So even though what was supposed to happen next is Tamar's supposed to marry Shua, Judah said, I'm not letting you near Shua. Why don't you go somewhere else? And when Shua is of age, you can now marry him. And he knows in his head, when he's of age, you aren't getting anywhere near him. You aren't touching him, anything like that. So here's what Judah's doing. Judah is doing the worst thing he could possibly do to Tamar. The worst thing. She is a teenage, twice-widowed person. There is no hope for her now. She is done. There's nothing else she can do. She has no kids. She has no son. She's twice widowed. She is, she is bad goods at this point. And that's what Judah's doing to her. So we're going to skip down to verse 13. In between, Judah's wife um, passes away. And he gets over his grief and he goes on to a business trip. And here's what happens in that business trip. We're going to skip down to verse 13. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Tinma to shear his sheep, she took off her widow clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance of Enam, which is the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Sheila had grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. So Tamar, in this story, she's the sinner. Even though bad things have happened to her, she decides to do something that she knows she shouldn't do. She takes off her widow clothes, she disguises herself as a prostitute, and sits right where she knows Judah's going to come in. She is the sinner. Here's what a sinner does. A sinner knows what they should do and purposely doesn't do it. 
Per, a sinner knows that I, this is the way I should be living. I have a better way of living. I'm going to go do that. And sometimes you're justified, right? Sometimes your upbringing, you were brought up in a certain way and, and you had the, the deck stacked against you. And so you have an anger issue because of the way you were brought up. Maybe you weren't treated the way you were supposed to be treated. So you have excuses for why you're doing it now. Doesn't matter. You're still Tamar had excuses. She was treated horrifically by Judah. She was treated terribly. It doesn't justify it, but she was treated terribly. In your marriages, right? If you do something wrong, you might be justified in it. I might be justified in my anger. But if I act out of my anger, that's still wrong, isn't it? Just because you're justified doesn't make you right. So here, Tamar is justified, but she's not right. She decides, I'm going to disguise myself as a prostitute. Verse 16, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, here we go, he went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. This is like Jerry Springer stuff right here, guys. Some of you guys don't have no clue Jerry Springer is, do you? So you okay, anyways. And what will you give me to sleep with me, she asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock. And they're making a transaction they, they dealt goats back then. That was part of it, okay? It was, she was like, I'll give you a goat. And here's how she responds. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? I'll, I'll take the goat, but how do I, how do I know you're going to give me that goat? I, can you send me a pledge before you send me the goat? He said, what pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So let me explain what this is. Here, um, the seal is attached to a cord, which is attached to your staff. When you were rich, um, you would have a seal. And this seal represented that you kept your promises. This was basically his ID. That's like if I asked you to give me your birth certificate, your driver's license, your social security card. Like, give me your identification. When you send the goat, I'll give it back. This will be proof that you are going to actually send me the goat. So why don't you give me this stuff? So let's recap this story really quick to make sure we're all on the same page of this Bible story I'm talking about. Judah, who is the great-grandson of Abraham, has two sons. They both die because they're wicked, and they both leave Tamar behind. So, she's, so he sends Tamar off, even though he shouldn't have done that. Tamar decides, I'm going to do something about this, and he, she disguises herself as a prostitute. And Judah decides to pay her by giving, him his, by giving away his identification to sleep with his daughter-in-law. We're all on the same page, right? Okay, if this happened today, we would go nuts, right? If this happened in TMZ, we would go crazy. But this is in the Bible. Continue on in verse 20. Meanwhile, Judah sent the goat. So at this point, the, they, the transaction was complete. Uh, Judah slept with Tamar. And so he goes back home. And here's what happens next, verse 20. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend to Adamant in order to get his pledge back from the woman. But he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who was by the roadside of Enam? There hasn't been a shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there, there hasn't been any shrine prostitutes there. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has. Or we will become a laughing stock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you did not find her. So here's what's happening here. Tamar might be the sinner, but Judah, Judah is the self-righteous. Judah is the one who thinks he's better than everyone else, 
who thinks he's holier than everybody else. I mean, think of his great-grandfather. He's in the great family line. He thinks that he knows what's best. He, and so much so that he decided, I'm going to choose my own wife, a Canaanite woman, and I'm going to choose my kid's wife. He thinks he knows better than everybody else. And now he's stuck in a predicament. I sent the goat. If this word gets out that I slept with a prostitute, I'm going to be a laughing stock. Let her keep all that stuff. I'll get a new staff. I'll get a new seal. I'll get a new cord. I don't want anyone to know about what happens. Take me on in verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. What a hypocrite, right? I mean, that just, this kind of gives you a little clue in on, on how women were treated back then too. What a hypocrite. She comes out and she said she was prostituting, she's pregnant, and his response is, go and burn her. Now, here's what you need to know about, about setting people on fire and burning people. Back then, there's some barbaric things that happened back then. You didn't normally burn people back then. This was something you did when you really, really, really hated somebody. Judah hated Tamar. Judah blamed Tamar for his two sons' death. He hated her so much that he said, you're going to burn her. This was barbaric even for back then. But we all know who slept with Tamar. He doesn't. He says, burn her, to the, burn her, put her on the stake. Verse 25. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. I am pregnant, but whoever owns these is the one that did it. You recognize these? You recognize this? Here's what else she's saying. Here's what else she's saying. She's saying, do you recognize yourself? This is who you really are. You're the one who slept with your daughter-in-law. You're the one who slept with who you thought was a prostitute. You're the one who got me pregnant. Do you recognize yourself? Do you recognize that even though you think you're so special because you're the great-grandson of Abraham, even though you think you're so special, you can do whatever you want, no matter what God promised Abraham, no matter what the law says, you're going to do whatever you want. Even though you think that, do you see who you really are? Because I know who you really are. Listen to how Judah responds to this. Verse 26. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I says, I wouldn't give her to my son, Shayla. It convicts him. It's a wake-up call for Judah. He doesn't even deny it. He has a fight. He goes, you know what? She's right. She's more righteous than I am. And again, back then, for a man to say that, that meant a lot. For a man to say that to someone that that he hated, because he hated Tamar, that said a lot. She is more righteous than I am. It was a wake-up call. For Judah. And then in verse, in Genesis chapter 44, if we leave this story and go back to Joseph, uh, Joseph eventually moves up the ranks in Egypt and he starts as a slave. Eventually he starts uh, revealing Pharaoh's dreams and he becomes, comes to a position of really high power in Egypt. And then a famine happens and all these people come to Egypt to try to get rescue. And Judah and his brothers go to Egypt to talk to this person. They didn't know it was Joseph. And when they're talking, uh, Joseph sees his brothers and he's thinking, if they'd recognize me, would they still have the hate that they had for me when they sold me into slavery? So he, he decides, you know what? You guys go back, get what I need you to get, but leave your youngest brother, Benjamin, here. And listen to how Judah 
responds. Listen how Judah, the person who's ready to burn a woman to the stake. Listen how Judah, the person who chose his own wife and all of his kids' wife. Listen how Judah, the one who was so self-righteous, who thought he was so much better than everybody else, who was never wrong, who always chose his own destiny. Listen how Judah responds to Joseph. Here's how he responds in verse 33 through 34. Now then, please let your servant remain here by my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return to his brother's. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Judah goes over to Joseph and says, take me. Don't, don't leave. I'll stay. I'll stay forever. You can, please, don't keep Benjamin here. I will sacrifice myself in order for you to, to let Benjamin go home. I can't let you keep Benjamin because if you keep him, my, son, my dad's going to die. Please keep me instead. Keep me instead. Judah needed an incredibly painful process of spiritual awakening in order to become who he was supposed to be. That's who he was. So, what in the world does this story have to do with us? What does this story have to do with Jesus and the New Testament? What does this story have to do with anything? In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew talks about the genealogy of Jesus. And here's what is recorded in Matthew chapter 1 about the genealogy of Jesus. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. If you can skip ahead, man. The son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. There's no reason to put Tamar in here. I mean, you don't see Sarah with Abraham. You don't see many women in the genealogy of Jesus. Why is it in here? So that we can know something. If God can pull into this mess that we just read and pull out the Messiah, he can go into your mess and pull out purpose. Out of the mess of this story, the Messiah came. God can reach into your mess and pull out purpose. I don't know what your past is. I don't know what you're going through right now. My guess is it's not as crazy as Judah and Tamar. That's my guess. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's a pretty crazy story. My guess is it has nothing to do with what Judah and Tamar went through. But if God can use Judah and Tamar and Jesus can come from that, then God can go with whatever mess you're going through, whatever pain you're going through, whatever struggles you're going through right now, he can use you for a purpose. That's what he can do. The story of Judah and Tamar is a story of grace and purpose in the midst of the worst mess possible. That's what the story is. In the midst of the worst thing possible, there's grace and there's purpose. So I don't know what character you feel like today. Some of you might feel like Tamar, where you're the person that you are purposely running away from God. There's things in your life that you know you should or shouldn't be doing, and you're purposely doing the opposite. That might be you. You're the sinner. I have good news for you. God loves you, and he sent his son for you. And whatever you're doing and struggling with right now, he already paid for it. It's taken care of. It's taken care of. All you have to do is turn around and receive his grace. You don't have to earn it. In fact, you cannot earn it. Now, if you feel like Tamar, God loves you and has a purpose for you, even with your struggles, even with your pain. 
Some of you might feel like Tamar, but some of you might be Judah. You're the self-righteous. You're the one who's better than everybody else. I'm not struggling like Tamar is. I don't have that sin I'm struggling with. So we get a little sense of superiority. And when we do that, here's what we tend to do. And this is what I tend to do when I start to act like Judah. I start to think, yeah, God gave grace, but God gave extra grace to Tamar. I mean, I'm not struggling with that. Yeah, God, I understand there's grace, but little less grace is needed on me. You're Judah. And my worry for you is that one day someone's going to show up with your seal and your cord and they're going to say, do you recognize who you really are? Because if we don't fix our self-righteousness, if we don't turn from our self-righteousness, eventually we're going to have a spiritual awakening. Judah didn't want to go this way in order to have a spiritual awakening, but that's what he needed in order to find his purpose. Some of us, we might have a spiritual awakening that we don't want to have. And we're going to recognize ourselves at one point and go, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is who I've been this whole time. I thought I was better than everybody else. Some of us are Tamar. Some of us are Judah. But if God can reach into this messy situation, he can give you purpose. See what Judah was doing? What Judah did is Judah decided he was going to punish Tamar for his own crimes. That's what Judah did. What Jesus did is Jesus took the punishment for our crimes. That's the difference. God came for the sinner who knows they need Jesus, and God came for the sinner who doesn't think they need Jesus. God came for all of us. The story of Judah and Tamar is a crazy story, but ultimately it points to our hope. That's Jesus Christ. It points to the grace and the purpose that we have only through him. Can we pray? Dear God, I thank you for coming after us, for defining who we are, for giving us a purpose. I thank you that even though we might run away from you, we might feel justified for our actions, that you still give us grace. Dear God, thank you that even when we abuse that grace, even when we feel superior to everybody else, even when we start to lean more on our good deeds than we do your grace, that you still saved us. Thank you for being the God that came for all of us, for the sinner and the self-righteous. God, I pray for the people in this room who are like Tamar, who are running from what they know they shouldn't be running from or doing the things that they know they shouldn't be doing. I pray that you convict them and you re remind them that you have a purpose for them, that you forgive them, that you love them, that all we have to do is repent, is turn from our sins to face you. God gives us that hope. God, I pray for the people in the room that feel like Judah, that feel like that self-righteous person. My prayer is that you convict them right now so they don't have to have a, a spiritually awakening moment that hurts. Dear God, I pray that if they aren't awake right now, I pray that they do get a spiritually awakened moment. Because that's the most loving thing you can do for us sometimes. 
God, thank you that no matter what mess we have in our life, no matter what pain we have in our life, no matter what sin we have in our life right now, that you still love us, that you are still there for us, that you still paid for us, that you still died on the cross for us, that even if we were the only people that needed a Savior, you would have came and still died for us. God, remind us of who we are in you. Thank you for your love. In your son's name, amen. Now we're going to sing a closing song together. And this is just a perfect song for what we've been talking about today. Um, about how, who God defines us as. Who God says we are. So I invite you guys to stand as we sing this closing song together.